Okay, we are here with Madeline Hoffman, who is running for the governor of New Jersey with the Green Party. Hi, Madeline. How are you? I'm fine, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be with you here today. It's a beautiful day. I think uh, summer is summer is here. A little early, but summer is here. Yes. Um, so I wanted to start off by asking about your history in politics. You've been on the scene since 96 when you <laughs> ran with Ralph Nader. Um, maybe some of the younger people won't remember Ralph, but he ran several times as a third party candidate and was one of the biggest third party candidates in recent history. Um, so what was it like running with him? And, um, you know, what what made you want to enter the scene as a third party candidate? Well, uh, that's a really interesting question. I'll try to answer it concisely because I could spend the whole hour talking about that one. Um, I actually didn't decide it on my own. Um, I was from 1980, 81 until 1998. I was the director of a grassroots organization that worked with communities throughout New Jersey fighting toxic chemical pollution problems. So that would be like a polluting incinerator or a leaking landfill or a sewage sludge facility or a proposal for something new to add to the pollution. And I'd been doing that um, in 1996, I'd been doing that for about 13, 14 years. And I got, a, I got a, a letter in my post office box from the Green Party of New Jersey, first asking me if I would run for president of, New, uh, of the United States, because that, that was the first year Nader ran. And it wasn't clear how many states he would run in because mm. um, he had to get on the ballot. You know, the federal elections are state by state by state right. uh, election. So I was asked first to run for president and I just didn't know what to do with that. I kind of dropped to the floor uh, figuratively like, oh no. And then while I was thinking about that, about two weeks later, I got another letter from the Green Party saying that Ralph Nader had agreed to run in New Jersey. And could I, so I wasn't needed to run for president. And I said, snap, easy come, easy go. <laughs> but then it went the next line, we want you to be his favorite daughter, you know, our favorite daughter candidate. We want you to run for vice president on the ballot with him in New Jersey. And so then I talked to the people on my board, um, the grassroots environmental organization. And we decided given who Ralph Nader is, um, that it would only be um, a positive for us if I ran with him. So that was in 1996 and, or early 1996. And um, running with Ralph Nader, it, he was in New Jersey just for a few days. I mean, mm -hmm. running all around the country, obviously. But I learned so much from him that I still have in my head about politics in the United States, about civics in the United States, about the differences or lack thereof between the Democrats and Republicans. And it was so exciting for me to be part of it uh, that when, the, when the, the following year came around, and the Greens asked me if I would run for governor of New Jersey in 1997. Without thinking, I said, yep, I'll do that. <laughs> and so um, Ralph Nader had for a long time been a hero of mine anyhow, mm -hmm. um, because of his work 
it's consumer advocacy, you know, mm -hmm. trying to make sure that the consumer was always protect, protected uh, from the big corporations whose main goal is to make a profit. Um, and so it, it, you know, he did not disappoint. He did not disappoint and then launched me into running independently you know, I, without a running mate, because the governor at that time, there was no lieutenant governor position. Mm. Um, and so I ran uh, on my own as a Green Party candidate for governor. And since then, you've ran a few times for senator, including a record breaking year in the last year, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was minding my own business, right? I was the director of a nonprofit peace organization uh, from the year 2000 until the year 2018. I had worked for, uh, on the environmental issues from 1983 to 1998, give or take. Mm -hmm. um, and then from 2000 to 2018, I was working for the nonprofit peace organization. So I was minding my own business until... And they reeled you back in. And yeah, they reeled me back in. I, the, the first thing that I attended was a overcoming racism uh, workshop on a Sunday afternoon into evening. And we, it was a really good uh, workshop on, on that issue. And afterwards, a number of us went out to, to a local restaurant in New Brunswick that, to talk about it. And the conversation was proceeding and one of our, my colleagues had already decided to run for Congress in District 7. Um, and so the, the conversation is moving along and then somebody says, oh, all we need now, because Menendez, I think, had just been cleared of the charges that, he had, that had been filed against him. So somebody mm -hmm. said, oh, all we need right now is somebody to run for US Senate. And then it's sort of out of the blue from somewhere. I heard a voice saying, I'll do it. <laughs> and it was um, your voice. That was my voice. <laughs> so like, wait, who, who said that? Um, and then I took a little bit longer to just confirm, you know, affirm for myself that I wanted to do it. So yes, I ran against Menendez in 2018. I ran against um, Senator Cory Booker in 2020. And then because, as you said, it was record breaking, we got almost 40,000 votes, 38,288, which was the highest number for anyone running uh, statewide for the New Jersey Greens since Nader's uh, showing in the year 2000. Hmm. Um, so, and so that, We wanted to work, I, I felt, we all felt like it was important to build off that 38,288 number because that showed that even in the middle of a highly polarized election, um, Donald Trump versus um, Joe Biden, even in the middle of that highly polarized election, there were still record numbers of people who wanted to, in New Jersey, who were willing to vote green and so running for governor um, in uh, 2021 is a way to build off of that and try to see exactly, not, not for a particular candidate, not for a particular, like my personal political career, no, um, to advance and promote and strengthen. 
the goals of the people out there who are working for a better state and a better country, you know, to, to support movements out there who are trying to, uh, who work, or working for social, economic, environmental change. All right, I think now is a, a, I personally think now is a time for rising third party movements. Yes. Um, and you can look even to 2016 as a good example of this because Donald Trump ran as a Republican, but really he wasn't a typical Republican. A lot of his views didn't fit in with the Republican Party. And then you had Bernie Sanders, who exactly. both of them had huge grassroots movements. And Bernie is an independent who ran as a Democrat, but really his platform is uh, much further left than the typical Democratic Party. So you're seeing these two people uh, who are operating really outside of the party gaining support from everywhere in the country. And, uh, and you see a growing discontent with the current parties because it seems like there isn't, there are no good guys. The Democrats and Republicans are just, doesn't matter. They're just in it for the money. It's what it seems like that's, you know, uh, and And people are getting unhappy with it. And you're seeing a rise in votes for libertarian candidates and green party candidates and just straight independent candidates. Uh, so do you think this is a movement that is only this is, is this just the beginning or are we seeing a crest? No, I think it's just the beginning. Uh, I, recent polls show that of those polled, mind you, some 60 to 65 percent uh, want uh, an, another alternative. They don't want to see. They, they want to see an alternative to the Democrats and Republicans and even you know, those lone voices in the Democratic Party that that may sound a different tune, people are seeing that they are so encircled and surrounded by the other voices and the, 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 the people and the corporate Democrats or the neoliberal yep. Democrats, that there's really no place for the, the I don't know what word to use anymore because progressivism means very little and liberalism means very little, but there aren't people representing policies that most people in this country need and want. And especially after this pandemic or as we're slowly coming out of the pandemic, it was really clear where the weaknesses and flaws and inequalities and problems are with our capitalist system and with the way people were being um, treated, you know, people losing their jobs mm-hmm. um, and then losing their insurance, people, people losing their jobs. And um, in New Jersey specifically, on unemployment, trying to get unemployment for months and months and months. The system is so antiquated at the state level that people still, I think some people never did get their unemployment benefits. And then others now are being told that they're, that they're kicked off the unemployment line um, benefits in order to make the numbers look better. So yeah, I think, you know, when people feel these things directly, um, that's when it's time for change. And mm-hmm. the pandemic, um, as much as anything else, I think made it really clear that the system wasn't working. And those who supported a Bernie Sanders, for example, I mean, you're absolutely right, Daniel. In 2016, people were pouring out to mm-hmm. listen to Trump and to listen to Sanders. In the hundreds of thousands, people wanted something different. And they got, they got disappointed in 2016 if they supported Sanders. If they supported Sanders again in 2020, they got disappointed and left 
um, you know, left standing with like, okay, now what, where do I go? Yeah. Um, where is there to turn? Exactly. Um, so that's, I think, oh, and then the other part of 2020 is because it was a pandemic, a lot of, there was an, a vote by mail option that was used by many more people. Yep. And so the voter turnout was higher. Uh, you could vote, you could fill out your ballot and drop it in a box, a safe, a safe box, anytime for a month. You know, it wasn't like a, election day from for eight hours or whatever it is. Yeah. On one specific day. Especially if you like that always bugged me. Election day, people have to work, but you only have a certain amount of time to get your ballot in. It's like, well, if you work an hour away, right, how are you gonna vote? Yeah, unless you get up at five in the morning and vote at six, mm-hmm. you know, and people who work an hour away, they don't go to bed till late. So it's just very inconvenient. So I think, you know, we need to continue that practice of mailing in ballots um, and get the, the largest number possible of people to participate. Yeah, I think uh, part of me thinks that it's almost designed to be inconvenient. I say like election day should really be a national holiday. You shouldn't yes. have to go to work that day. You, it's your it's your civic duty to vote. Uh, yes. We should take it much more seriously. Yes, and then there's a book written by um, a comedian and politician out of Texas. Jim Hightower is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, probably most many people, won't will never have heard of him. But you know, he was very active when during the time that I was most active and he wrote a book he wrote a book with this title the title was if God had wanted us to vote he would have given us candidates so so, yeah we have to make it easier for people to vote certainly um and make it a national holiday make it you know by mail and you have you have four weeks to get your ballot together and put it put it in put it in the mail or in a Dropbox. And then also you make it so that uh, other types of people can run for political office. Mm-hmm. No, we, we support as the Greens, we support something called ranked choice voting where a person can go into the voting booth and vote for their first, second, third, fourth, fifth choices instead of going into the voting booth and saying, well, let's see, I really want to vote for the Green or the Libertarian or some other independent. But if I do that, then that means that the candidate I fear the most might win. So for so many years, people have been backed into a corner when they go to vote. Um, And if there were ranked choice voting and if money, big money was taken out of politics, then, you know, more people, ordinary people, you know, would just would say, I can run, I can run, I, uh, yep. and I need to run, and I need to represent, oh, I don't know, a farmer, a teacher, you know, people who aren't well healed. There are so many rules set in place to belittle the third party, like the 15% rule in general elections, where you need 15% support just to get on the debate stage, which is designed so that we can just have two candidates on there. Yes, and, uh, exactly. But the ranked choice voting, that's, that's a good, I know they're doing that in New York now. Uh, I hope it's coming to Jersey soon, because that's a big, like with the Biden Trump election, I didn't want to vote for either of them, but all of my Democrat friends were like, well, if you don't vote for Biden, that's a vote for Trump. And all my Republican friends were like, well, if you don't vote for Trump, that's a vote for Biden. It's the same 
uh, line on both sides where it, any vote that isn't for my guy is a vote against him. Um, and we can't think like that because then that that's designed to narrow the choices down to two, frankly, crappy choices. <laughs> uh, but enough about national politics. Let's get into your platform here. Uh, All right. The first thing, uh, environmental justice is obviously a big deal for the Green Party in general. So I saw that was one of the biggest tickets on your platform. And I saw you use this term eco-socialism. Could you describe that for us? Yes, I can. But before I do, can I make one comment on the lesser of two evils? Sure, yeah. Um, Just because it ties back to Ralph Nader in 1996. It was something Nader said in 1996 over and over and over again. And in 2016, what he said came true because the two people who were running, Trump and Clinton, were two the two least liked oh candidates God. ever, right? Mm-hmm. So and so the choice was pretty poor. And I, you you used a different word, which I agree with. <laughs> um, but but Nader used to say, if you if you vote for the lesser of two evils, you're still voting for evil, and the but and the evil gets lesser and lesser. In other words, you know we get less and less of what we want because we keep settling for somebody who's less evil or less bad than the other. And then 20 years later in 2016, what he said came to fruition completely and totally. And so that's why we need to get out of that box. Exactly, the lesser of two evils is still evil. You're still right. choosing an evil thing. And it keeps moving, you know, the, the, the spectrum keeps moving. So whatever was evil in 1996, by 2016, it got, much more so, much worse. Mm-hmm. But we're still trying to decide which of the two two candidates we should vote for. Exactly. Um, yeah, back to the environmental justice. Yes, back to eco-socialism. Question. Yeah, I haven't, yeah. I've never heard that term before. So I, I was very curious on how you would describe eco-socialism. Well, eco-socialism, as it implies, it has a connection to ecology and um, environmental, economic, ecological sustainability, Mm -hmm. uh, environmental justice and the like, but it also has a component of uh, a worker's bill of rights. So we're trying to match um, the, what's what's driving our economy, what's fueling our economy. Uh, We wanna match that with what's best for the environment. So it follows along two principles ecological sustainability and socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that not every job that we have is a job that's in place to maximize profit. For example, um, let's look at the fossil fuels industry. Uh, one part of our platform is to get us off fossil fuels as soon as possible. Um, Governor Murphy says we're going to use 50% renewables in New Jersey by 2030 and go 100% renewable by 2050. All the experts say we don't have that kind of time because the burning of fossil fuels contributes to global warming, which contributes to climate change, catastrophic climate change. So, but we know that if we, if we, reduce or eliminate the dependency on fossil fuels, there will be people without work. 
unless yeah especially in jersey we have big yes. oil refineries the uh what are they called the chemical coasts yes yep. yes exactly so we can't solely call for um, um, moving away from fossil fuels without coming up with another kind of job to put in its place and if you have the the workers and the people of the of the state involved in deciding what those kinds of jobs would be for example, I mean, an easier one for me, because that's what I did when I ran for, uh, when I was the director of a nonprofit environmental organization, environmental justice organization, is if you don't burn garbage in a garbage incinerator, okay, the, the jobs associated with that no longer exist, but you can have a recycling job, you have recycling jobs, composting job, waste reduction jobs. You, you transition away from the damaging, destructive, solely for profit or not solely for profit that does provide another, um, another use, but it's clear in terms of our current climate crisis that burning of fossil fuels is a big contributor. So you, we come up with alternative jobs for those who are employed in the petrochemical industry. Um, and, and we protect the workers. So what, what kind of jobs would that include? Um, like, for example, I mentioned the, the chemical coast earlier. That's, uh, you know, yes. on over across the, the water from Staten Island. Uh, yes. Mainly two big oil refineries and a couple of other chemical companies there. They hire a lot of people and they pay pretty well. Um, obviously, you know, the, the damage to our environment is first for the Green Party and it should be first for a lot of people. It's a pretty dangerous thing. But also there are people who are getting paid well who need jobs. So what what jobs can they do? Are we talking like lithium battery power plants? Are we talking about recycling plants? Are we talking about changing the grid entirely? And also, what do we do with the buildings that were on that chemical coast, those huge docks that are already occupied by all this, you know, millions of dollars of building and machinery? Um, an excellent question. Um, and, you know, while you talk about the impact of these jobs on the community, we also have to think about the impact of these jobs on the workers. Mm -hmm. uh, and back in the 80s and 90s, there were people within the oil, chemical, and atomic workers unions who were on the same side as environmentalists um, because underst they understood the impact both on the environment and on the worker and then you know, wanted to work together to create that transition um, that would be best for the environment and for the workers. Um, yes, for ex um, if you want to talk about military establishments as well, like the military, um, I don't know, a place that um, produces turbines that are used for uh, fighter planes in the military, it could continue to produce those turbines, but for peaceful use, peaceful uses. Uh, there's, there have been many studies and reports done on this. I don't have all the information right here in my head, but I know, um, I know that it's possible. And I know that people like the Bernie Sanders we mentioned earlier right. have, you know, looked about, looked into sustainable jobs and sustainability. You know, the, the one thing that 
that was really evident to me during this pandemic. Remember when um, fast food restaurants had to stop selling certain uh, certain items? I know like Wendy's stopped cert, uh, selling certain burgers because people in the Midwest wanted had to, you know, went on strike to shut down their meat processing facilities because this was at the height of COVID and the number of COVID cases inside that plant were, were sky high. Um, our workers, many of our workers are caught in that bind between wanting to put food on the table and working at something extremely hazardous um, risking their lives and their health in order to do that and uh, to put the food on the table and bring that paycheck home. And, you know, back in the height of the pandemic, one of those governors of one of those states said, because Trump ordered everybody back to work at one point, and she said, I believe it was a she, she said, well, if you don't go back to work, that's involuntary, that's voluntary quit. That's going to be, we're considering that as a voluntary quit and you won't be eligible for unemployment benefits. Hmm. So it's so, either come to work and get sick or don't come to work and lose all your money. Right. All right. Right. And, you know, if you want to protect your health, if you, I get, as you said, some of these places you get paid fairly well. I mean, the Amazon workers during that time period, they got a hazard pay. Mm -hmm. two bucks an hour additional mm -hmm. you know it, it's there it was not nearly enough they weren't provided with personal protective equipment they didn't have a national health care system to fall back on yep. you know so so this by eco-socialism what we mean is we're protecting the environment from catastrophic climate change from uh intolerable amounts of air pollution and other other pollutants and we're coming up with a workers bill of rights tuition free college forgiveness of debt um the evictions that have been on hold right now um what's going to happen when that moratorium is list lifted we say cancel the rents and mortgages but the banks may say all right, you owe us for the last 16 months or 18 months, plus you have to keep current. Exactly, how, which is how crazy. Is that, how is yeah. that, yeah, how is that helping anybody? And how is it possible? And, and I, I know your next question might be, how are you going to pay for it? So I'll anticipate the question and say, as a, as a longtime peace and justice activist as well, our military budget is way out of control. And it really if, is. Yep. It's at seven, right now it's $740 billion with a B. You cut that in half, uh, $370 billion. We still are the strongest military on the planet. By far. Um, yeah. yeah, even if we cut it by half. Mm -hmm. um, and then that with that money, you help pay for universal basic income, job creations, job creation, jobs creation, um, and the transition, the studies, the reports, making sure that um, workers are protected as we move away from these environmentally damaging and destructive uh, industries. Um, that's 
that's uh oh and then for cancellations banks banks have they, they've been robbing us fail, of our money say? for a while yeah they're yeah. too big to fail exactly yeah but um you know they have it's and it's the same thing with profits like some of these companies have made exorbitant profits during a pandemic mm -hmm. jeff uh, but jeff bezos in particular he's poised to become a trillionaire mm -hmm. and he made his money a lot of it during this pandemic while denying workers what they need um you know so this this the socialism aspect of it means everybody's protected it's not only about the bottom line of profit um it's about ensuring that people workers don't have to make the hard choices we just talked about you just you just mentioned and protecting the environment at the same time and so murphy wants us to be 50 percent clean energy by 2030 and 100% by 2050 what would your time frame be i, I believe i saw you say 100% by 2030 yeah, I know. Um, and Biden is also saying 100 percent by 2050 um, and 50 percent by 2030. First of all, no new permits for pipelines. Right. Um, none. Zero. Apparently, you know, there is one at least one pipeline permitted under Murphy. There's another one that's coming up for review under Murphy um, and those should not be granted. No new power plant power plants that burn, um, you know, the, na the natural gas or oil. Like there's the big one that was proposed for um, the Meadowlands right on the border, but right mm -hmm. on the river. And the materials would be burned for power here, would be transported in, burned here in what, uh, North Bergen, I think, or one of those towns right around there but then transported by underground pipeline for use in New York. Um, so so we were, do all the work and they get all the benefits. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is not sustainable. You under, yeah. This is not what we have in mind for sustainability. So we would just have to take a look. And I know, I know somebody's going to say, well, you know what, you, you want to deny these folks a profit. Um, and you want to you want us to to convert to something else that we can't do that fast? The answer is, and I'm not the right person. Well, I can communicate it with urgency, but if you listen to the 18 to 25 year olds or the 18 to 30 year olds, they say we don't have the time. They look and they want a future, mm -hmm. you know. And so they have an urgency about this that the rest of us in my opinion, the rest of us need to need to catch. Yeah, and I mean, I'm 26 and my whole life it's been, uh, I've heard about environmental issues and all this. And I thought that they'd figure it out eventually, but here I am 26 years later, it's the same problems that I heard growing up. You know, it's like nothing has changed, nothing really. It's like we just keep kicking the problem further down the road for someone right. else to deal with. And now, right. now it's our turn to deal with it. No, you're you're exactly right, and the and the issue isn't necessarily that we can't do something else, because we can. The problem is who's standing in the way of that and why. Mm -hmm. And if it's only about the money, and the lobbying power, um, if you look at the military budget, and every year you know the companies like Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, they're mm -hmm. making tons of money. Mm 
Mm -hmm. And they don't want to lose that pipe. They don't want to lose. I, I, I started to say the work, the word pipeline, but I, I take, take that out of the discussion here. They, they don't want to lose that, that money-making ability. And, so, and also the power that they have over government, like our current yeah. uh, yes. uh, Secretary of State or Secretary of Defense was sitting on the board of Raytheon just a few months ago. That's correct. Um, how much power do they hold over our Pentagon and our government, our military in general, considering, you know, they're all buddy-buddy. The, the chairman of Raytheon one day is, is making, uh, you know, choices for the company, and then the next day he's making choices for the government. And we'd be foolish to think that those interests don't overlap a little bit. Or, con or uh, contradict, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like the conflict of interest idea uh, can you really be looking out for the welfare of the citizens and residents of your states and country or the rest of the world for that matter? Um, or are you looking out for the best interests of your former boss, your former employer? And, you know, Dwight D. Eisenhower was no pacifist. Dwight D. Eisenhower uh, fought in the war, in the wars, and he said in right around 1960, he warned us all to be aware of the military industrial complex. Mm -hmm. And um, here we are 60 years later, and I, we say, beware of the military industrial complex yeah. because it's, it's governing so much of what, it's contributing to decisions, so many decisions that are made about how our money is spent what our priorities are, um, and even who can run for political office. Because if it requires millions of dollars to run for office, those of us like me who aren't going to accept money from, keep, from companies like that, we start out at a disadvantage. Our, what we have that the companies don't is we have word of mouth. We have the people power, you know, people, taken to the streets. That's where you and I first saw each other, right? Was right in Dover. In Dover, uh, in a solidar in a march in solidarity with the people of Colombia. So this is what we have to amplify are these voices. And then these voices, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not looking to raise millions of dollars because I can't. As I know my opponents, you know, they're going to be raising that money from people that are standing in the way of the progress we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the companies are always going to get in the way of the people if, if they can. Um, but I did want to touch on, uh, you were talking about, uh, earlier you were talking about universal basic income when we were talking about COVID-19. Um, you mentioned it. So is this something that you could do as governor for just the people of New Jersey? Or uh, how would you go about doing it if, if you could? Yeah, well, I suppose, I mean, I certainly look at where, you know, look carefully at the budget. Um, but also, I know Murphy did a lot of lobbying with Donald Trump, you know, putting a lot of putting a lot out there um, about what New Jersey's needs were uh, at the time. And that's certainly something that I could do and would do is speak out on behalf of the people of New Jersey. But let's just think about this for a second. Um, we got we got a twelve hundred dollars 
a twelve hundred dollar check, a six hundred dollar check, yep. which makes eighteen hundred, and then the last one is fourteen hundred. So for those of us who got it, and not everybody got it, that's thirty two hundred dollars for March twenty twenty through May twenty twenty one. So that's twelve and four, sixteen months. $3,200, it's about $200 a month is what we've been, is the average of what we've gotten um, in terms of federal subsidy. If you're undocumented, if you're a student with loan debt, if you're, um, there were some, a couple of other categories that were left out. And I remember hearing Senator Booker when he was uh, running for office on a panel with Governor Murphy saying, yeah, this is a great bill. This is gonna get money in people's pockets. This was the $1,200 uh, stimulus check. And he said, but this group, this group, this group, this group, and this group were left out. We'll get to them in the second round. <laughs> As if we have that much time. There's, there's people that can't afford to eat. Correct. And I mean, you want them to wait for a second round. It's right. And I mean, and when you think about how little we've received, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to send it back. Don't get me wrong. But if we just look at the, at the overall economics of it, um, the state, the state, the federal government, uh, there are countries that have $2,000 a month universal basic income. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a substitute for a job. The best thing would be one of the jobs that we're talking about through the eco-socialist Green New Deal. We don't want to have the universal basic income be the, the way that people survive. But during this pandemic, I mean, what's happened instead, and it's not a bad thing, and it's something that we'll, have to, we'll likely have to continue um, because the people not only have to, but the people who are doing it now will want to continue it. And that is mutual aid organizations. There have been mutual aid organizations springing up everywhere in New Jersey mm -hmm. because people on limited income, fixed income, virtually no income, um, people who are living, you know, um, Throughout Morris County, there are, I think, 200 to 400 families that are being served by Mutual, Mutual Morris, um, where as a community, you know, some of the places, some places are donating food, some places are donating, people are donating diaper, whatever, yep. you know, and, and volunteers, even at the height of the pandemic, you know, I felt like a, a coward because I wouldn't do it at, during the height of the pandemic, I was too nervous about delivering food to the doors of people I didn't know. Um, but since just before the lockdown and all the way through and continuing today, there are people in Mars County, Mutual Mars, who have been serving many, I, I shouldn't probably not use the word serving, but have been bringing food and supplies to people who need it to tighten um, the community, to make it more cohesive, and these are things that are going to have to continue. There's a right. strong mutual organization, mutual aid organization in Patterson um, as well. Um, people need to help. I've been helping one another, recognizing just how 
many people were one paycheck away from disaster. Yeah, and I think that sense of community of helping people in your town or in your county is uh, really the way to get through something this terrible and also the only way to really push for better legislation and, and hope for the future. Um, and another thing that really affected a lot of folks in New Jersey during COVID was the lack of health care because health care is traditionally, you know, employer supplied. And if your employer fires you or lays you off, you no longer have insurance. So it's because of this pandemic, I no longer have a job because I no longer have a job. I don't have health insurance because I don't have health insurance. If I catch this, this virus or any virus, really, um, I might just die because I, I can't go to the doctor. Or if I do go to the doctor, or the hospital, especially in the early days of the pandemic, when they were putting people on ventilators um, unnecessarily, that was tens of thousands of dollars. So, okay, I survived. Um, I'm better now, but now I still don't have a job and I owe the equivalent of a new car in medical bills for maybe, maybe treatment I didn't even really need, um, you could argue. So I know you're a supporter of Medicare for all. My question is, uh, how do we do that in a single state? Could, could we have a, a state-funded Medicare for all? And what would that look like? Yeah, we can do a single payer Medicare for all in a, in, at the state level. Um, it would be worth it, it. I think Vermont had it. I think it was something or or Massachusetts had it or something, something close to it. Um, it's extremely important to have one. I would need to I, I can't. I can't explain fully how you how we would move from that to that, but we don't even have a public option in the, you know, in the um, what was called the Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. Uh, I've been benefiting from the Affordable Care Act since it started, um, but we pay more and more for it and get less and less in return, and it does have state subsidies. There are other uh, there are other programs with state subsidies, so that would be how we would need to do it. We need to do the state subsidy um, for people, um, and you know, I I would I would look into exactly how we would make that happen here. But I completely agree with the need to do it, um, and I I still I don't I remember in debates between. Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, that Joe Biden continually said, no, all we need to do is tweak the Affordable Care Act. And um, Bernie said, no, no, no. And, and, and Biden would say, well, you're looking for a revolution and I'm looking to take care of people now. And I would, I would yell back at the, at, the, at the TV, you can do both. We can do both and we have to. And it would just, it would mean looking through the budget, um, freeing up money that's being put into other things. Um, we still have, I mean, this is from 1997 when I ran, we have much debt because under Christy Todd Whitman back in 97, uh, the pension funds, people's pension funds, um, fire department, police department, their pension funds were raided in order to make up for what then Governor Florio wanted to raise an additional taxes. Um, and so um, we're paying that off. I, I still have the news articles with the headline, 
um, party now, pay later. This was from 1997. Mm. When the bill comes due, we're all, all of us now, 20 something years later, 24 years later are paying for it. So yeah, we, we need to find those areas where there's money that can be freed up to come, go into subsidizing um, state healthcare. And again, if we if we cut the military budget by half and take that $370 billion and pour it into each of the states, because states also uh, survive on federal money. It's not only money that's right. generated within. Uh, we also need to raise, and I, I believe Murphy supported it, but it's not in place yet. We need a wealth tax on the... 0.01%, we need to raise more money. There was a time, it was in 2003, where if there was a wealth tax placed on those folks, the top 0.01%, the amount of money that it would, that it was going to take to wage war on Iraq, all of that money would have been raised from that wealth tax. Yep. And I mean, now during COVID, you, you touched earlier on the fact that the richest have gotten wealthier during COVID-19. Yes. And the there are 400 people in America who have about 25%, I think it might be closer to 22% of all of the country's money, all of the GDP. Uh, before yes. COVID-19, it was 15%, which is still outrageous, but it has gone up to the point where 400 people have a quarter of the nation's wealth. And, um, you know, sometimes people hear things like tax the wealthy or tax the rich, and, and they think, that it's a bad idea because it will be bad for corporations and bad for businesses. But when you look at it that way of how much money these few people have, it isn't about making business for them. It's not about making jobs or, or creating business opportunities. It's just about gathering up gold and money and sitting on your pile of wealth, like, you know, some greedy dragon or something. And <laughs> the, the only way they're not is Reaganomics doesn't work. Trickle down economics doesn't work. We can't uh, expect them to invest in us. Right. That's, that's the government's job. That's what the government's there for. Right. And if you think back to the Great Depression under FDR, you know, there were government programs for many things. There was a works, works project administration right. where there were government jobs. There were um, and that, you know, many, many different kinds of jobs, including construction and education and such. If you look at our federal dollars, for every $1 that we pay in federal taxes, almost between 50 cents and 60% of that, 50 cents and 60 cents of that dollar goes to the military. 6% of that, 6 cents, 6 cents, goes to education. Right. So, so there's some, you know, it, somebody will say to me, but you're running for governor. Why are you talking about national issues? And my response is because the states need money. The, the, the federal government grants money, but the federal government has granted less and less. Um, it could grant more and more if we make, if the federal government changed its priorities. And yes, I, I guess you, you've already seen that. I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to sit back and accept the status quo if the status quo isn't working. Right. So all of the things that I'm suggesting, they can be done. There are reports that show how they can be done. It's the political will to get them done. 
But as long as the government's in the hands of the current political parties, it doesn't appear to be moving in that direction at all. And as long as the profit motive is what drives everyone primarily, it's not going, we're not moving in that direction. Back in, 19, in the 1950s, the corporations contributed a huge amount, a huge percentage of municipal budgets, state, county, and municipal budgets. That percentage has shrunk to be very, very low now. And instead, what you hear, you may hear, you know, wherever you live, you may hear the, the government, the local government saying, we don't have enough money for emergency services. So we're going to let this private company take it off our hands. Mm. Um, we don't have enough money to run the county hospital. We don't have enough public funds to run the county, the county hospital. So we're gonna let this private company take that off our hands. We don't have enough money to run this public prison. We're going to let this private company take it off our hands. And I, I remember having conversations with people in the healthcare business, for example. If you have a profit-making company providing all the medical equipment people need for testing and so on, the prices don't go down, they go up. The amount of accountability that company has to the people and their patients doesn't go up, it goes down. Um, and so we just, we need to restructure everything so that, and this is where we talk about a public bank, you know, where different constituents, different groups of people can say, okay, we have this $5 million that we can invest today. Where do we want it to go? Not where does Governor Murphy and the legislators in, you know, in the state government, where do they want it to go? Whose pockets do they want to line? It's okay, where do we want it to go? Right, um, you're, you're serve, taking my tax dollars. I want to know where it's going. I want to have a say in where it's going. Right? I want to have a say. And that's, I mean, that's the idea behind representative government, but it's not how it's working right now. Yeah, not at all, especially in Jersey, where we pay so much in taxes on absolutely everything and, and we get very little for it. Yeah. Um, so one, you talked about reducing the military budget to help pay for this. Uh, another thing I've seen you talk about is reducing police budgets. Uh, do you want to go into more detail on that? Because I do think there are some towns where the budget is definitely inflated. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't think we need, in my town, for example, there are blacked out cars uh, cop cars with pure black tinted windows you can't even see the police department's name it's black vinyl on the side they're all like blacked out and uh it's clearly for the purpose of hiding and finding you when you least expect it and then giving you a ticket as opposed to the old police cars were blue and yellow or white and black very obvious so that if you saw it you could wave the cop down to come help you and it seems like there's been a, a uh, rapid transition from these cops are supposed to be seen and, and able to help us to these cops are stealthy members of the state who are spying on you and trying to catch you doing something wrong when you, you can't see them. Um, so in that, in that regard, I think that budget is a little ridiculous, but what do you think about generally our police budget in the state and uh, what would you do to, to alter it? 
Right. Well, I, this is a controversial topic to be sure. I've had people ask me, what do I mean when I say defund the police? Right. And the my response is for the city of Newark, as an example, the biggest budget item in the city of Newark is the police. And so then, you know, when Cory Booker was mayor, a lot of education went to private charter schools. So the money was going to police, but not to public schools in that sense. Um, okay, the only on, on Newark real quick, I'll just say yes. Newark did in 2020 have the first year where they did not fire a shot. And a lot of people are citing um, the training protocols that they've been going through, which obviously requires money and a budget for that. Um, mm -hmm. And so in cities like Newark or Camden, that seems to work if, if you do it right, if you do the training correctly. Um, but the funding of charter schools is, is something I don't agree with. And, you know, public schooling, I think, should come before them. Right. Well, and the, the issue of that you were talking about in regards to stealth, the cops as, you know, in just trying to surprise and shock and catch mm -hmm. rather than be part of the, the community. I mean, the the... Ever since George Floyd was murdered by Derek Chauvin, I mean, the amount of information that's come out and the amount of instances of police acting with questionably, you know, in some cases, definitely inappropriate uses of force, in some cases, quite debatably inappropriate uses of force. Leads me to think of that old adage, you know, if the only if the only weapon you have or the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer, everything you see looks like a nail. Right. right? So if the only tool you have as a community to address certain issues is the police or are the police, then every case that comes up with a police is something where you have. Um, a person with a gun and a nightstick and a certain philosophy of dealing with community, the community or communities, because it's different in a black community or a Latino community, Latinx community. The attitudes between police and the people are different. So what my, what I understand defunding the police to be and what I support is to take, just like we talked about the military, take some money out of the budget and put it into social work, put it into recreation, mm -hmm. put it into jobs creation. Uh, do not, and I say that, you know, with big letters, multiple underlines and exclamation points, do not accept gifts from the Department of Defense under the S-1033 program, which are cast off tanks and other weapons that were used in wars overseas, don't accept them and use them, put them in your local police departments. Um, remember the, the man who was shot and killed, he, was, he, was, he fell asleep um, on the drive-through line in the Wendy's. Yep, yep. yep. You know, I, I don't know how many times I thought about that or how many posts I read about that. Imagine if a social worker had gone up to him and said, can we help you? How, how can we help you? Do you need a meal? Can we get you one? 
you know, in, because for 45 minutes, that was a peaceful interaction, more or less. Mm -hmm. But then the, then it escalated with the cops and the guy was running away and got shot in the back and killed. Um, right. So so this is what defund the police. To me, it's defund and demilitarize the police to take the money, some of the money, not, you know, I, there are people who call for the abolition totally of the police department. Um, I stop short of that, but I, but it needs to have a whole different, needs to have a whole different function. And it needs to be in the context of many other kinds of services that people need. And if we, we had a moratorium on evictions, not a moratorium, a forgiveness of rent, if we had universal rent control, so people knew they had a place to live and weren't going to be pushed out if they couldn't, you know, with gentrification, that sort of thing. You know, if we had adequate funds for education, if all of these things, then we would get, if we had recreational facilities in town, um, and if people were being taken care of, if they had healthcare, that they didn't have to, they didn't have to decide between putting a meal on the table and going to the doctor. And a lot of this, the tension that we feel right now in our communities, I think would be eliminated. And um, Absolutely. Yes, I, I think basically, you know, focusing on the economy and uh, the environment seem to be your two major issues. And I would argue that that's where all the issues in politics comes from is, is lack of budgeting. But we, we are out of time. Um, there's definitely more I'd like to talk to you about. So maybe we can do this again sometime. Yeah, I mean, I can. Yeah, if you have five more minutes or 10, I can go. But you know, you have to leave as well. I think. Yeah, yeah. And my, my computer's about to die. I have it plugged in, but it's, uh, it's reducing. I'm down to 1% now. The charge is just not holding. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So well, we no. should absolutely do this again sometime soon. Or maybe we could even do it again uh, later next week to finish sure. this off a little bit better because this was a rushed ending obviously because of uh my charge situation but let's do it and i i'm also still out there gathering signatures on my petition to qualify to be on the ballot so i would love people to visit my website at hoffman for gov that's all lowercase hoffman the word for and gov g-o-v-n-j.com hoffman for gov nj.com mm -hmm. um, people can sign electronically to get my name on the ballot they can sign up to volunteer um, we still need help to get on the ballot in november all right great well hopefully you get on the ballot i'd love to see more options on the ballot and uh, i'd love to see you on a debate stage with murphy too and look forward <laughs> to talking to you again that'd be that'd be fun i think you and murphy having a discussion yeah it would be great it would be great so thank you so much for this opportunity and maybe, and yes, let's see if we can come up with a date next week to continue. Great. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Enjoy your weekend. You too. Thanks.